Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cornerstone Bible Church Women's Study in the Psalms. This is episode two. In this podcast, we'll take a look at a different psalm each week for eight weeks. I'm Audra, and I'm excited to be with you today as we dive into one of my all-time favorite psalms, Psalm 27, A Lament. On last week's podcast, I went over the three steps we are taking as we interpret these psalms. If you missed it, it might be helpful to pause this one and listen to the podcast for Psalm 8, then come on back over and continue your study in Psalm 27. One thing I wanted to go over this week is the structure for the whole book of Psalms. Psalms is the largest book of the Bible. It consists of 150 chapters, and those chapters are divided into five books. The final chapter of each of these books provides a doxology for that book. Psalm 150 is considered a doxology for the book of Psalms, while Psalm 1 can be viewed as an introduction. The word psalm is a transliteration of the Greek word referring to a song performed with stringed instruments. Psalter, um, with a P, is another title for the book. It comes from the Latin word referring to the stringed instrument used to accompany the psalms. Then there is the original title, the Hebrew Sefer Telahim, uh, which means book of praises. Within these five books of the Psalter, we can find different categories. There are Psalms of praise, like Psalm 8 from last week, laments, royal Psalms, and wisdom Psalms. There are even subcategories for some of these. Today, as we look at Psalm 27, we will see that it is considered an individual lament. The individual lament makes up the largest category for the book of praises. In a lament psalm, the writer is more aware of pain and suffering and the need of God's help, more aware of his own sin and the need for forgiveness. In this psalm, we will see how David handles distress and he leaves us a solid example of how we too can still find confidence in the Lord even when life becomes frightening. Psalm 27, A Psalm of David The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this promise that you are our light and our salvation. 
Lord, we thank you for your word that it is true. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to receive it and to understand it and to act upon it in the way that you would have us do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, ladies, we're going to look at the original meaning for Psalm 27. In this psalm, we see David praying desperately for God's presence in the midst of an attack. Although we see David's moving prayer in the body of the psalm, we also find him communicating confidence in God in verse 1 and then again in verses 13 and 14. His contrasting moods are characteristic of many laments in the psalms. Looking first at verses 1 through 3, we see that David is confident in Yahweh. He calls the Lord his light, his salvation, and the stronghold of his life. Let's consider the first name, Light. This is the only place in the Old Testament where God is actually called Light. David is thinking about his enemies. He affirms that even in the darkness of war, God's light pushes out the fear that accompanies this darkness. There were many times where David faced enemies. As David's name grew throughout Israel after he killed the giant Goliath, Saul, Israel's first king, pursued him with jealous hatred. He tried to kill David several times, but David escaped Saul's clutches. You can find these details in the book of 1 Samuel. Because David knew God was his light, he could have confidence in him. David also says that God is his salvation. The Hebrew word for salvation means deliverance. David knew that God had the power to deliver him out of his enemy's hands. He calls God the stronghold of my life. This would bring to mind a military stronghold as David was a soldier David knew that he would be safe with God. Looking down to verses 4 through 6, we see David's desire to seek the Lord and to dwell with him. To seek God in this way is not a matter of unfocused searching, but a sign of commitment to the way of life he demands and provides. David's one desire is to dwell with the Lord, to gaze upon his beauty. There is an element of both worship and safety for David in dwelling in the house of the Lord. As he writes, he will keep me safe. He will hide me in his dwelling in his tabernacle. This protection leads David to sing Yahweh's praises in verse 6 and offer sacrifices. In verses 7 through 12, there is a shift of voice to the second person as he pleads for deliverance from his enemies. He begins by crying out, hear my voice, as if he is still crying out for the Lord to deliver him. In verse 8, we see again David's heartfelt desire to be in the presence of the Lord. What he communicated as his deepest desire, seek his face, he acted on. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. In verse 9, we see David asking the Lord to not reject him or abandon him. Yet he concludes in verse 10 with a confidence that even though his parents forsake him, that the Lord will receive him. In verse 11, we see David humbly asking for God's instruction. In this verse, the reason for finding the right path is related to the enemy attack that he is experiencing. In verse 12, David is asking for God's protection. The harm threatening him from his enemies is based on lies and their desire to cause him harm. The chapter ends with confidence and encouragement in verses 13 and 14. David is confident that he will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This week I read that the phrase land of the living occurs some 15 times in the Old Testament seven of which are in Ezekiel, four in the Psalms, two in Isaiah, and one in Job, and one in Jeremiah. In all cases, it clearly refers to this present life as opposed to the vague non-existence of Sheol. 
when he writes, wait for the Lord, he is giving himself instruction. David seems to understand there is a waiting that does not look worried or anxious, but waiting with a confidence in the Lord, reminding himself to be strong and to take heart. The two verbs for be strong and take heart are the same used in Joshua chapter 1, when God encourages the Israelites as they would cross the Jordan River to conquer the promised land. God told them, be strong and courageous. Okay, now we're going to move on to step two, which is bridging the times. David faced some terrible enemies who literally hunted him down to try to take his life. And the one thing he asks is to seek the Lord. In our time today, we also have enemies, but often they are unseen, not trying to literally take our physical lives, but to crush our spirit. We face darkness, uncertainty, sin, worries, fear, broken relationships. First Peter 5, 8 says, be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you believe in Jesus and have trusted him as your savior, if you live your life for him, then you have an enemy, the devil. But that is not something to fear, for as we read in verse 1 of Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Compared to God, no enemy should we fear. The Lord is able to deliver his people out of any frightening situation. He is our safety and brings light into the darkness. Can't we relate to David's prayer in the psalm? We can remind ourselves that God is our stronghold and wait on him with confidence. Can we also relate to the troubles David is facing? Even though we may not literally be on the run for our lives, we are still facing different battles. Would you consider taking David's example of trusting God the next time fear threatens you? Okay, ladies, we're going to head into the application part. Um, you know, this Psalm, uh, Psalm 27 has been one of my most favorite Psalms ever. Honestly, I have struggled with fear on and off for a long time. As a child, I can remember being afraid at night, like in my room, you know, and it was dark. I remember turning off the light, then running across the room and jumping into bed just in case there was something under there. I remember that feeling of fear. And of course, as I grew out of, as I grew up, I grew out of the fear of the dark. Well, you know, growing up can also bring more of the cares of this world as well. Sometimes they can creep in on us when we're least expecting it. I hadn't felt like I was a fearful person anymore. So, you know, I got married about a year graduating from college. Um, and then I had this person in my life who I love more than myself, right? And I want to care for him and anything bad that could possibly ever happen to this person. Oh, it just kills me too, right? Like he stubs his toe, my toe hurts. Um, well, he had some chronic pain and it was difficult to see. It's difficult to see someone you love in pain. Um, he had chronic back pain mostly. There were things we tried, but eventually he was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. It felt like a devastating blow at the time. It's like it made me realize this is something we're going to have to live with for the rest of our lives. I mean, fibromyalgia is chronic pain with no apparent cause, or at least not just one thing, so it's not like an easy fix. I know people know how to manage it and live with it, but at the time when we got the diagnosis for Mike, it felt like a huge blow. So what I want to talk about is, um, is my struggle to accept God's hand in my circumstances, in our circumstances, in learning to live with Mike's pain. So I remember seeing Mike in pain and would wrestle with God in my heart, you know, just praying, Lord, please just take his pain away, please. 
please, please, Lord, take it away. God, it's too much to bear. God, we can't take it. Please. Or please, Lord, show us what we're supposed to learn so that we can live without it, right? Like whatever forms of prayer I can think of to pray, I would. One fall, I was able to go to a women's retreat with our church, and they had a couple there who were part of the worship band. They were sharing part of their story. It was a husband and wife, and one random day, the husband had some weird pain in his head, and they decided to take him to the ER because his headaches were totally unbearable. So they went in and found out it was some crazy brain tumor, and they're sharing, and I'm thinking, no, Lord. I don't want to hear about someone's husband having a diagnosis and going through a lot of pain and suffering. No, you know, I I mean, I'm thankful for them and their couple and their story. I'm thankful that they're okay, but you know, I don't want that to be my story. I don't want that. And I had to wrestle on the way home from the retreat. I remember weeping because I needed to come to a place of surrendering my pain about my husband's pain to the Lord. I didn't, you know, I felt stuck. I didn't know how to do it. I just remember weeping and that crying felt so good. And looking back, I can identify that feeling as fear. You know, I didn't know that at the time. My mind was clouded by my fear for my husband to have to live with pain for the rest of his life. And it wasn't until a few days later after the retreat, I was driving one evening and I started to pray, Lord, take this cup, take this cup from us. And immediately in that moment, I could imagine Jesus praying that same prayer in the garden the night that he was arrested. Lord, take this cup for me. And he didn't stop there, right? He said, Lord, take this cup for me, but not my will, but yours be done. And in that moment, I prayed, but Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And I immediately felt this burden lifted. It was amazing. It was so freeing because I learned how to pray, Lord, not fix the pain, but I learned how to trust God's plan. And it was exactly a month later when Mike was in a horrible car accident. Someone was evading the police and he plowed right into Mike in an intersection. And I think had I not already been in a place of surrender and peace in this area, it would have been more difficult to trust God's goodness and care over our family. Mike was laid up in bed for months and it was a terrible experience, but God's presence sustained us through it. As I reflect on how God brought me to be at peace with our circumstances of pain and not living in fear, as I look back on that in this passage, the one thing David asks is that he would seek the Lord all the days of his life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. I found that I was able to pray, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I would rather be so close to the Lord and have undesirable circumstances than to have the pain gone and be far from the Lord. My one desire truly was to be at peace with God, and I was able to do that once I let go of my will, once I let go of my fear. I encourage you, if you're listening in, maybe there's something you're afraid of. It can be tempting to see this chapter and say, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And maybe we want to just put a label of this verse over that fear and say, you know, I'm just going to pray over it and be done. But maybe it would be beneficial to just slow down a little bit and sit with God and tell him how you feel. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're worried or scared. Maybe you're single and you're afraid you'll never get married and all your friends are getting married. Or maybe you're praying to have a child and it's not working. Or maybe you're praying for you or your husband to find a job or a better job. 
or you're praying for enough money to come in, or you're praying for your child who has grown up and has wandered into their own lives away from the Lord, and you're concerned and fearful at times for them. And sometimes as Christians, we think, well, we're just supposed to not fear, right? So we try to not to, we try to just stuff it down and pretend it's not there when really it's the loudest thing we hear. And I find that when I can just be honest with God and not act like I have it all together or act like, well, I know the answer I should have. So this is what I'm going to say. Now, after I spent time talking with God in the car that night, it was like, oh, the the deepest prayers in my heart, Lord, take this cup from us, but not my will, but yours be done. I was in this place of releasing and letting go and not trying to overcome my own fear by myself. Because I could say, not my will, but yours be done because of who God is, right? Because I know I can trust him. I know that he is good. I know that he is all powerful. And if he decides not to stop the pain, even though he can, I still can trust him. That there is something in this pain that can bring me closer to him. Where he will give us comfort and himself glory. By trusting in him, who knows how God will use it but I know that I can trust him. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? There's no reason to fear. I would encourage you to, if you're feeling fearful about anything, to just sit with God for a minute. Tell him how you feel. Tell him, yes, Lord, I do feel afraid and ask him to help you not to be afraid and how to get there. Often I pray, Lord, I want to live without fear, but I can't do it by myself. I can't muster it up on my own. I think he allows us to be in that place because then it's God who's doing the saving. It's God who's at work. Thank you for joining me today for Psalm 27. Next week, we'll take a look at Psalm 37, a wisdom psalm. You can find out more information about this study on our church's website, cbcglendora.org, and in the show notes. Feel free to share this podcast with anyone who might be interested. Thank you, friends. We'll see you next week.